Today's program is part of a special series brought to you by St. Agnes Medical Center and Every Neighborhood Partnership with funding provided by ACES Aware. Together, we are working to raise awareness about the effects of adverse childhood experiences in hopes of building a healthier community and a brighter future for our children. Dr. B explains the importance of acknowledging our stressors of the past in order to thrive in the present. Plus, she shares practical tips for coping through challenging times and building greater resiliency so you and your family can enjoy healthier and more fulfilling life. Hi, you're listening to Delusional Optimism with Dr. B, where we explore human resiliency and learn how people thrive even after adversity. We break down the complexities of the human brain so concepts are simple and relatable. It's fun and empowering to understand how your earliest experiences influence your relationships today. What makes you tick? Dr. B is a speaker, trainer, and consultant who understands emotions and human development from the inside out. Let's dive into today's episode. Here's Dr. B. Hi everyone, it's Dr. B. And in today's episode, we're gonna be talking about young adults and sort of the latter part of teenagerhood. So, you know, the 18, 19s and the early 20s, so maybe up to 25. If you're interested in furthering this conversation, please email me at contact at drbconnections.com. And if you wanna know more about me, jump over to my website at contact at drbconnections.com. There's some new info there, so check it out. All right, let's get started. Good afternoon, Dr. B. How's it over there? It is beautiful. It's colder than it has been, but I think it's the cold before the heat hits, so we're good. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I actually went on a hike yesterday and it was absolutely perfect. Nice. I, I went down by a stream and like meditated for 20 minutes. Beautiful. On a piece of granite rock. It was just, it was so wonderful. good. And, yes. and such a great healing health self-care activity to do that meditation. Oh. So interesting because I did some hypnosis yesterday. So yesterday was a oh. healing day. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You know, my new three favorite ideas for, you know, healing on a really deep level are hypnosis, meditation and and EMDR if you have an EMDR yeah. person. So, um, yes. Yeah. I, I haven't done hypnosis or EMDR as of yet, but it's definitely something on my list. I, I, I really yeah. am interested in trying out. For well, sure, I so. have the hypnosis person for you because okay. she's awesome and um i've never done emdr either but i trust the i trust the process yeah. great so. awesome so today we're talking about young adults yes. and what would you say is the defining characteristic of young adults well the defining characteristics of young adults is that they are now shifting over from being a shared life with their parents to their own independent life with themselves. And that's a big shift for for young adults, but it's also a Mm. very big shift for parents or caregivers, whoever, you know, has been responsible for them. And their brains are in the sort of semi-final stages of really solidifying for the first time around the age of 24. So we know... um, Remember, their brains are very pliable and so much information is happening in the infrastructure of the brain at the beginning, birth to three. 
But now we're kind of at the end of that whole cycle, the first quarter mm. of your life. 25 years later, now wow. we've organized, reorganized, inputted, and done all these neuro, neural networking things. And it's kind of going to solidify it doesn't mean it doesn't mm-hmm. change anymore across the lifespan, but now we've got what we're working with. And yeah. we are in much more control over changing our brains through healing and experience. So what are some, what are some things that we really need to know um, as it relates to ACEs and young adults? ACEs and young adults. One of the most important things to understand about ACEs, remember adverse childhood experiences are... If those experiences led to one of our, you know, let's say the misuse of drugs or alcohol or risky behaviors, whatever that is, when those behaviors started in relation to adverse childhood experiences, not just the the typical, you know, risky behavior, but the one mm-hmm. the stuff that starts in response to self-medication. So we've already talked about how like a nine-year-old can start drinking because of trauma and hmm. they start drinking younger than just an, just an acting out adolescent. So what we know then for the young adult and even the adult into their, you know, doesn't matter what age they are, that if somebody starts self-medicating or using using a substance when they're very young, their maturity level can get semi-stuck hmm, at that point. So you can be talking to a 40-year-old, but if they've been using or misusing alcohol or drugs over the course from 9 to 39, then there will be little responses that you notice that really reveal the maturity of a nine-year-old not across the board you're not going to see a a 40-year-old walking around acting like a nine-year-old all the time Mm. but if you experience that and you know that then when the nine-year-old shows up in the 40-year-old you say oh hey we need to maybe we need to maybe work on that you know especially if you're in a relationship with somebody who's had trauma and who's Hmm. had, you know, some of these, these situations because they can begin to also notice it for themselves. Wow. That is really interesting. That that makes me think of on my podcast, we just released an episode with, his name is Michael Naylor and he's, uh, he works with AA and the Enneagram. He's a therapist. It was a super fascinating conversation as it relates to Enneagram type and addiction and recovery and how that all works. Just someone that has obviously done a lot of work on himself and with people that have been deep in those, in those recesses. But the other thing that came to mind is the concept that one of my friends uses is high character, low health. Someone that is like, has high character and like does good things, but then there's, there's some, there's something about, there's just like, maybe you're not conscious of everything that's going on underneath. Okay. On that level. That, you know, it took me a second for that phrase to sort of like resonate in my brain, like high character, low health. Okay, that so speaks to the process of resilience. Mm, Okay. 
because let's think about like high character. You want to do good things and you yeah. even do and, and do good things and work towards high, you know, aspirations mm-hmm. of life and helping people and being a good, good person. But the low health part would be, you know, you don't necessarily take care of yourself in the process. Right. Or maybe that the trauma you have, like, I do believe that people from the get-go are good and want mm-hmm. to do do good things with their lives and are loving and social and all of those things. It's that we interfere with that yeah. process. Right. So very good, you know, it's like, good people do bad things or, you know, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, that's like the Dr. Seuss version of, you know, right. <laughs> that phrase. But yeah, but in reality, if you think overcoming adversity, I want to do really good things. I want to overcome mm-hmm. my adversity. So I'm going to do these things with my life and you and you're successful at that. Mm-hmm. But in the process, you have also missed the skill building along the way from your parents or caregivers or teachers or whatever. So you don't have the skill set to at the same time take care of yourself. Yeah. Or you miss some obvious things that in helping somebody do something, you completely take it over and you don't let them do it. Yeah. So it's a good character thing, but you kind of like bad delivery. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, motivation or or you're you're tricking yourself into thinking that you're doing the thing that is best for your group, but everyone but you is seeing how it's just an egoic drive. Uh, another phrase that comes to my mind is like spiritual bypass, where it's it becomes about the the spiritual practice and not about actually doing the good inner work, and it's yeah. just it just becomes about the act of the thing where being a good spiritual person or healthy person becomes part yeah. of your egoic performance. Yeah. And, and, but it's just, it's obviously just surface level because Got it. Yeah. yeah, something. And we all know lines. those, we all know oh, that people yes. do this. Yes. I mean, yeah. like we could, especially now when we think about mindfulness, yoga, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. there are life coaches. I mean, I'm going to just say it because in mm-hmm. the grand scheme of things, I actually, I'll take the risk of, you know, saying that if you are not trained and embedded in your practice for yourself and others, then you should not be practicing this with others. Yes. So if you are a therapist who will not go to therapy, you cannot do therapy with somebody else. If you have, have not done the deep practice of whatever that is, mm-hmm. and you're just doing it for, yeah, exactly, that egoic, you know, Hey, look at me. I'm yeah. a really cool, whatever. I'm, yeah. I won't even pick a thing. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. And it makes people feel better to think that. But really what it does is it pushes people away. Yeah, it, exactly. it sets us apart. So if I say, oh, I'm the expert yoga instructor and, and I've done this in India and all mm-hmm. over the world and whatever then that separates me from the brand new person walking in the door to learn the practice. Yeah. And what we really would what we would really think in relation to 
a yoga practice. I used to do, I love yoga, but I'm not yeah. great at it. And, but, <laughs> uh, but point. I'm just using it <laughs> as this example is yeah. what we really want is to bring people as close together as possible on mm-hmm. a spiritual level. And so how is that helpful to mm-hmm. instead separate ourselves in tears, you know, yeah, the best, the okay, and the not so okay. Right. So I guess bringing it back to how young adults are dealing with ACEs and how they maybe are still abusing some sort of substance or activity, even CrossFit could probably be thrown in that category, right? Sure, yeah. Of uh, anything like that. Yeah. What's going on in the brain of a young adult that is that is using these substances or doing these certain activities? So I would say that any sort of, I'm going to call it acting out activity, isn't really acting out in a negative way. It's acting out in a way that is very different from the expectation that your parents or your adults in your world have for you. Mm, So we talked about this the other day where, you know, in my, you know, I'm Gen X. So like, Acting out had to do a lot with drugs and alcohol and, you know, that kind of thing. Because that really pushed us from our parents, like the anti-drug campaign that set us apart. Now, today, younger adult, you know, young people as adults act out in different ways. They get involved in things that their parents don't understand, maybe, like deep meditation, yoga, CrossFit, things that don't that are very unfamiliar to their parents. And then, so it sets them apart from their parents and causes conflict because the need, the need of this period in life is to separate. It's it's very important for young adults to separate from their parents in order to find who they are themselves. And then they can come back later and reconnect on an adult, level. Yeah. But they have to find those ways to disconnect. So if your mom's a yoga instructor, you're probably not going to pick yoga as your yeah. acting <laughs> out behavior. Yeah. So you might go to doing something CrossFit. Total, CrossFit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, something else or you're going to pick some yeah, it, it can be anything from religion to music to art, anything yeah. that will push the buttons of the adults in the world, and they don't have to be bad or negative in any way. They just set us apart. But it's important setting us apart. So if we can recognize it, that's that's ideal. Recognize it, appreciate it, and let it be their thing. Don't try to take over and become a graffiti artist with them. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's interesting. So when young people follow in their parents' footsteps, a couple of different things can be going on. One, maybe they do share the same passion. There's really no stepping around the need for separation though. They're still going to need to do If they become a dentist, they're going to need to do dentistry different than their Hmm. parent did. And there a lot of times, though, when those things happen, the pressure is just so high in the family that the child gives up and just does what they're supposed to do. Oh, wow. And we all know people 
who <laughs> have lived through and in that kind of level of pressure, like you really right. don't have a choice about what your your life is going yeah. to be. This is how you're going to live your life, and you either accept it or you're out. Hello, we're living this right now with yeah. Prince Harry and Prince William. Yeah. We are living it in full color in the most global experience of our lives. It's fascinating. This is your life. You are the prince. This is what your wife will do and your children will do and everything else. And then son number two comes along and they want to dictate his life. And he's saying, you know what? Nope. I'm doing it a different way. So. And he is a young, like he's been struggling with this for a while. And so, I mean, it's very interesting to watch. Mm -hmm. And there are little tweaky reasons why William very much has to, because he will be king. Mm -hmm. And Harry has a little more flexibility because he, that's not, you know, if, if he were going to be king, it would be different. Yeah. So interesting. That's the ultimate, the ultimate visual representation of that experience mm-hmm. and we can just pull it down to you know micro levels of pressure like that yeah you will take over my family business mm-hmm. and you will love it <laughs> and then i imagine the the acting out starts showing up in other places that are maybe more hidden and subtle like over over consuming alcohol in the evenings or something like that sure it's still showing up to yeah. The job you hate every morning. Yes. Or maybe, yeah. you know, there is the the subtle unconscious ways of irritating people that aren't mm. obvious. So there and there there's zillions of them, obviously, dating the wrong person. Oof. Let's just pick that for a second. <laughs> you know, like, oh, this might, you know, it's unconscious. But if that's falling in love with somebody who's different than the family expects can be a really great way to perpetuate the fighting that's not really about the person. It's really about the pressure of falling into not being allowed to live your own life. And everybody has expectations that have existed from the get-go, from day one. So children have beliefs and expectations about their parents and what their parents are and what they can handle and who they, how they think about them. And parents have the same sort of ideas and expectations about right. their children. And neither of them recognize that, oh yeah, you know what? People do change. So I had this experience with my oldest son where he absolutely, I know from the way our conversation was going, that he expected me to have an opinion about it, express my opinion about it, and then argue about it. Hmm. And what I had to say was, hey, you're 32, 33, 30, you know, you're in your 30s. I'm not doing, I don't, you know, I love you no matter what, and I want you to be happy, and I'm not in a position to give you advice anymore unless you ask me Mm. for it. Like, that's old, those are old days. You know, when you were 12, you needed that for me. But we're in a whole different place in our lives. Wow. And so I feel that way about 
all my adult children now, but my 24 year old needs a lot more from me in advice than my 30 plus needs from me. Yeah. So Dr. B, what you're kind of talking about with what you're doing with your kids and and snaps for you for (laughs) knowing how to do this thing better than a lot of people out there, but you're letting your kids be their own humans. And that I can't imagine, I don't have kids, but I can't imagine how difficult that is because you feel like you know what is best for them. You feel like, oh, you're not doing it right. Um, So (laughs) how do you, would you instruct other parents to do the same? And how have you, what things have you worked through as as a parent? So interestingly, okay, I don't necessarily think any of my children would say that about me. Like, (laughs) I know that about me in my head, that I've Mm. made that shift for them. But I don't know that they recognize the depth of that shift for me, because it's really about me. And it's not so much about them. And so I don't know that they recognize that I'm 100% in support of who they are as adults, but I'm not going to interfere unless... And then there's that unless, right? Yeah. There's that unless. So, you know, <laughs> you can't ever really escape being a parent. Sure. But the goal, and this is my first go around, and I will only have one go around, which is true for all parents. Yeah. You get to child parent, you get to an adolescent parent, and you get to adult parent once in your life. Like you don't mm-hmm. you don't really do it again. You grandparent, right. and that's a whole different experience. So yes, kudos for me for having this enlightened experience. However, not really, because I'm just okay. like everybody else, just trying to transition. And, un- and I do understand the underlying neurobiology of a young adult. And that, you know, I shared with you earlier that I had a young adult say to me that my parents think they care more about my life than I do. Oh my goodness. And that's such a powerful thing to say. And knowing this young person and how responsible she is, and yet knowing what it feels like to be a parent and worried because Mm -hmm. she's kind of right on that, you know, going, going to college line. They're so afraid of letting her go and be on her own. And yet she's, she's already on her own. So one of the things we talked about and did was we said, okay, we need one week, one week, just let her be on her own. Do not give advice. Do not interfere. Just let her be the adult that she is on her own for one week. If she needs you, she'll come to you. Mm. And we, we sort of like set up a deal and a contract to see how that went. Now, who's responsible the young adult is responsible for proving now to the parents like, see, I do I do care more about my life than you do, or at least yeah. as much as you do. So parenting is difficult and there's no way around that. I don't think there's any parent on the planet who says, oh yeah, I just, you know, that was the easiest thing I ever did. It's challenging on continuously on every new developmental level. Mm -hmm. At 
when we think about parenting as when we think about the work we do as parents as the consequence of freeing our children into their own lives, then we do it differently. We need to do it in a responsive way, not a reactive way. And I think that one of the things that happens in young adults and early adulthood is that there is this awareness and transition of, and it may even happen a little bit later than young adulthood, but the realization that mortality is real, you know, that eventually their parents are going to pass. And maybe they've had an experience of a parent dying already or somebody close to them. And it's sort of a jarring experience when we lose somebody. But that circle of life and then recognizing all the things that we couldn't stand about our parents now become things that we cherish about. Like the other side is we cherish certain things about our parents. Mm. So nothing really about parenting is easy or what we expect in terms of the process. And just as we start to get comfortable with it, a lot of times it shifts and changes and we feel Mm -hmm. confused again. But when we become parents of adults, now we're separate beings. We're separate people on the planet with our own ideas and that's fine. What we have to do is bring the process into consciousness. And when we bring it into consciousness, then everything is can be a conversation. It doesn't have to be a fight. It doesn't have to be a, a battle about who's right or wrong. It can just be like, we're two different people who see things differently, but I can still yeah. love you. It's the both and yeah. of the universe. And you get to pick what you do, and I get to pick what I do. It's like what Mr. Rogers says. If we're able to talk about it, then we're able to manage it. Everything that's difficult that we feel like, oh my gosh, I could never talk to my parents about that. As soon as you talk to your parents about that or anyone else, guess what? It becomes manageable because the Mm -hmm. words make it manageable. And that too is very optimistic. And so Mm -hmm. I used mortality as an example and people would think, oh my gosh, I can't talk to my kids about me dying. Like that would Mm -hmm. be terrible. However, if you do have conversations with your children about what life will be like and what you what you want them to remember about you, that makes it manageable and much more tolerable. I'll share one very personal story that has been huge for me with my dad my dad passed when I was 32. And so that's pretty young to lose a parent. Yeah. And it was very unexpected. He had literally just had a doctor's appointment and they said, clean bill of health, you're great on Friday. And he died of a massive heart attack on Tuesday. So four days later, two days before Christmas. Oh my God. And so I was just, you know, rattled and devastated, obviously. Mm -hmm. Okay, separate story. Rewind about six weeks. I had been talking to my dad, no, not six weeks, about six months earlier. I'd been with my dad and we were talking about life. I don't even know. It wasn't a really deep conversation. And he, the song, It's a Wonderful World came on. 
And he said, I want you to remember this. When I die, I want I want this played at my funeral. Hmm. And I thought, okay, that's kind of weird, but all right, you know, good to know. <laughs> Not planning on that for a while. Well, yeah. six months later, he died. Hmm. And I took all this heat from a lot of people for playing It's a Wonderful World at a funeral, right? Yeah. But at the same time, I was like, okay, it was my dad. That was my dad's wish. So I'm honoring that every time now. Like that feels so good to me in terms of we were able to have a weird conversation about his mortality and it came up much quicker than either of us expected. Yeah. So... And I imagine that helped to kind of close the loop on some level. To For sure. Put a really nice period on the end of that yes. beautiful story. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It yeah. really did. So, yeah. so, you know, you just never know what to expect. But then now it's also given me the flexibility and freedom to explain to my own adult children, okay, you know what? This is what I want you to do. You don't have to decide what to do when I die. I've mm-hmm. decided. You mm-hmm. just need to carry it out. So that's a such a gigantic gift, and it's something that we don't practice talking to people about very often because yeah. mm-hmm. we're so afraid of it. Yeah. But they know exactly what to do and how to do it and where to do it and all the yeah. things, and then they can add whatever they want. Yeah. But it's an unmanageable conversation that we've made manageable. So, so as the last... Um, question here, kind of involving some some actionable takeaways for parents that are in this stage of life, in this stage of parenting young adults. What's three ways that they can gift their children resilience and support, even though they may not agree with the decisions that they're making? I would say the the top three things to gift children resilience would be one: remember they care about their lives more than you do, or at least as much as you do. And so what they do may not be what you were expecting or wanting, but it's the right thing for them. And let them go down the path that they're supposed to go down. Hmm. Accept that they're separate beings and try to view your adult children as adults not as the children they were. None of us mm-hmm. want to be held to the standard. None of us want to hear back, you know, what we were like at six, and that's why we can't do this at 26. Right. Nobody wants to hear that, including them. So we don't want to hear what a terrible parent I was when you were 12. Right. And I shouldn't say what a terrible child you were at 12. Yeah. <laughs> we need to, like, make amends around those things that... Mm. Remember to, this is what I would say, number two is, tell and teach your children who you are to them today and allow them to do the same. So Hmm. we teach people who we are and how we want to be treated. We give that, that's a gift that we can give to everybody. And it's a gift we give ourselves. So the first and most important people we should give that gift to are our children. This is who I am today. And this is how I expect and want you to treat me. Tell me who you are today and how you want me to be, how you want me to treat you. When you want help, you come to me. I am here for you. But if you don't need help and you don't need advice, 
then just say, mom, I don't need it. I don't need advice on this. I'm going to do this. I just need your support. Yeah. That's number two. The third one is talk about the fragility and the mortality of life. And, mm-hmm. and help people learn how to help young people and ourselves talk about the circle of life and closing the loop. Like there's no, my children can't escape me. <laughs> Even though I'm going to die one day, like I, I live in them in so yeah. many ways. Mm-hmm. And so when we're able to remind and talk, like when we're able to have that kind of conversation I think that it makes the transition and the ritual of death much more meaningful and powerful and palatable mm-hmm. than just the fear of somebody being yanked out of your life and then we have nothing to fall onto. Yeah. So that is the other thing is that we need to be better at being ritualistic around talking about death and dying. Mm-hmm. rather than just letting the the stuff fall. Yeah. And I think thinking and talking about mortality is also going to inform how you parent in the now. Because what what is actually important mm-hmm. about what am I trying to instill? If if tomorrow is my last day to influence them, how do I want to influence them? Absolutely. Is it really that important that they come home at 11:30? Right. Yeah. Or is it like, I want to empower this my child to live a responsible, caring, loving, joyous life? Like what, what's, and I know there's yeah. a balance there, but like keeping that in mind, what is the thing you want to instill in your child? I right. think is just very, very important. Yeah. And on a, on a really practical note where this is where, that's one of the places where parents and, and young adults struggle. When young adults who are literally old enough to live on their own but yet they live in they live in the house with their parents so there have to be mutual rules and respect so if there is a curfew and you set the curfew at 10:30 and you say if you're not home by 10:30 then this is going to happen and then they come home at 10:31 well life happens that is a that is exactly the experience that we want to bring to the table and talk about is why does the parent need to control that much of a young adult's life? If you believe that that child is in such need of that much control, then maybe you need to be viewing, you know, we're in, parents are scaffolding. This is where we have a lot of flexibility. Your only job at this point is pushing them towards the next step. And so that next step might be, hey, you know what? I really, for my health, need you to be home at 1030-ish, you know, within at least, you know, 10 minutes or call, text or, you know, message. But if you can't do that, then I feel like you're telling me that you're ready to be on your own. And, you know, I'm ready to support you with that too. I mean, assuming Mm. that they're over 18 and or whatever. And so if that's how you're feeling, like, let's work on that plan. What do we need yeah. to do? Like, let's set a calendar. Let's figure out how much money you need. That's let's great. figure out your job. But this is what I need. I do remember the feeling of like, 
oh my gosh, if they're not home at the curfew time, then we go to this place of they must be dead. (laughs) Okay, that's all we can think about is they must be dead. (laughs) And then we're furious when they're alive. Yeah, how (laughs) dare you not be in a ditch right now? (laughs) How dare you not being dead? How dare you not be dead? And so it's this continuous battle Mm -hmm. over silliness. Instead, let's say, hey, it's really clear you're ready to be out. Let's make a plan because then yeah. we can have an adult relationship out. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to worry about you being home because you're just going to call me. And that does require parents having leaving the nest feelings and do some new right. work. It's it's a new work plan for parents too. Totally. Well, okay. thank you so much, yeah. uh, Dr. B. Uh, thank any you. Any final words? Thanks so much for listening. It's always great to be here. Now head out and leave a life print. Until next time. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you. If you're interested in booking a training, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at my website, Dr. B Connections. There's a big button that says, book a training with Dr. B. It's that easy. If this show has been beneficial for you, please share it with your friends and family. Spreading the word about the show helps us grow our audience and helps continue to change the world together. Again, thanks so much for listening to Delusional Optimism. Now, go leave a life print. Thank you for listening to this special episode of Delusional Optimism brought to you by St. Agnes Medical Center and Every Neighborhood Partnership. We hope you're encouraged by Dr. B's message and find her tips helpful for managing life stressors and building a more resilient self. For more episodes in this special series, please visit St. Agnes Medical Center's website at www.samc.com. This episode is produced and published by the editing team at TruthWork Media. TruthWork Media is a full-fledged podcasting and social media agency located in South Bend, Indiana with clients all around the world. For more information, visit them at truthworkmedia.com. These materials and all discussions of these materials are for educational purposes only and do not constitute medical or mental health advice. The presenter is not a licensed mental health or medical service provider. If you need medical or mental health care or advice, you should contact your doctor or therapist, or you can contact your insurance company for a referral. This show and all of its contents are copyright 2020 Dr. B. Leave a Life Print. Reproduction or use requires written consent of Dr. Kristen Beasley.